chats from the blog cabin. This is your favorite time of the week with your number one one podcast. y'all just a brief introduction to this episode of chats in the blog cabin i'm chatting with elaine she is a oh my gosh she is so amazing she's a psychotherapist and she wrote the book everyday soul dancing a guide to soulful living in the midst of uncertain times and actually i got the title of this particular episode from her pr person who sent experiencing life in calm and helpful ways which i think is really great y'all i have never come off an episode where the person has thanked me so much after the episode she thanked me when we were having chats and then she thanked me once again um, in the email this particular episode toward the end it's a little bit different the way we end it because she does a meditation and because she does a meditation I go out and close it out before she does the meditation so that when she's done we just sign off So I hope you really enjoy this episode. She is going to come back, and I've already invited her back. She's going to come back, I think, in November, September, October, November, December, around that time. And we're going to talk about creating calm during the chaos chaos of the holidays. So I really hope you enjoyed this episode with Elaine. And um, keep chatting and start listening. Bye. Come join Melissa and her guests on the Chats from the Blog Cabin podcast. From North Carolina, this podcast will have you feeling like you've known these folks for years. Listen in as they chat about life, culture, current events, and more, all with a special Southern flair. Curl up with your favorite beverage and get ready to be entertained. Tune in now for a unique experience that's fun and insightful. Hey y'all, welcome back to another episode of Chats from the Blog Cabin. You know the show where I virtually invite people into the blog cabin to chat about life. And today we're chatting with Elaine. She's the author of Everyday Soul Dances. And it's all about spirituality and being present in the here and now. And Elaine, before we get talking about your book and what you do, tell us who you are. I I live in Reno, Nevada. Previously, I fulfilled a lifelong dream, a 22-year-old dream to live at Lake Tahoe. And that's when the words of the book started coming to me because it's such an incredible place to be. Um, My background is as a marriage and family therapist with a, a special interest in transpersonal psychology, which is the psychology of the spirit. And so for many years, along with being a therapist, I have explored yoga and the Eastern philosophies that have to do with who we are in relationship to our spiritual selves and who we are in relationship to one another. And those messages seem so important for us today. So that's why I'm grateful to be able to talk with you. So what led you down the journey. You said you were a a marriage and family therapist. What led you down to the journey of becoming more spiritual and going through and incorporating the yogi practices and I think hypnotherapy as well into all that, into what you do? So what is the question again? I'm sorry. Um, (laughs) You said that you were a marriage um, therapist, a family and marriage therapist, what led you to go down this road to kind of branch off a little bit and, into this more spirituality of it? You know, I don't see them as separate. I, we're spiritual beings. That's the first concept. You know, if we think that we're ordinary people having a spiritual experience, then it's easy to disregard that experience. But if we realize that we're a part of this vast, incredible universe, and they're all related to one another, then that changes how we treat one another. And that transfers easily into the therapy setting. You know, because like if I'm working with a family, I need to be able to hear all of the voices and to bring them forth. And it's often the child that speaks the truth in the family. And so I want to make sure that people treat one another with respect, 
that they learn how to calm down their anger. They learn how to listen well. And they also learn self-care. And I think that's one of the things from the yogic practices is that we can't just try to change the world without changing ourselves. Does that answer it? Yeah, that answers it totally. And one, one, part, one particular part of the book you mentioned um, the person that speaks the loudest or is maybe the bully in the family is the one that gets noticed the most. How do we overcome that? Because I honestly, I'm, I'm asking you this for myself because I have an older sister who's kind of like the loudest and the bulliest so she gets her way because she just kind of straight out tells you what she wants. And if you don't go along with it, she like has nothing to do with you. So how do, as the person who is dealing with that person, how do they get through that? Yeah we could pr probably write a book on the answer to that. But um, I was in a work situation in a mental health center and it was run by a dictator. And he had many men working under him who followed that mentality. And so there, were, there was all, he was a bully and he was always threatening and blaming. And if you don't do what we want, we're going to send you to Podunk Town, you know, to work instead of where I was working at Carson City, Nevada. And I was in therapy at the time, and I, my therapist reminded me that bullies have this bully persona, this angry, I'm so strong, and you're nothing in comparison to me, and I'm going to make sure you know that. But that's a persona, it's an ego state, it's also a defense against insecurity. Mm. And so when I remember that bullies are insecure, then in my mind, I can speak to the insecure part and love the part of them that's damaged in that way. It doesn't necessarily take care of the dynamics, but because the bully may continue to do that and they can't speak directly to that because that's the chances to do um, it. It helps us understand that we can take care of ourselves and we don't need to engage in any dynamic bits of music. That is such a great advice. I had never even thought about that as part of the insecurity of themselves. So wow that that's just in the first 10 minutes you've already dropped a bomb on me <laughs> well it's helped me so much over the years as i have a sister who um has a lifetime of anger towards me and she thinks i'm this terrible person and she can't hear me and she doesn't know who i am so i've chosen to after trying a lot to speak my truth to her, I've chosen to protect myself. And that isn't ideal in a family because we want people to come together, but karmically, it may not be possible in this lifetime. So that's how I see it. Wow, that's just, that's amazing. Now, <laughs> when you wrote this book, you wrote more about, um, trying to make sure that we have some spiritual qualities in our daily life. Can you talk more about that? If we don't know that we're spiritual beings, this is such a great question. Um, we just know that we're ordinary beings and we have this light to figure out and it's crazy and it's getting more chaotic, more difficult all the time. Then that's when we can have, that's our ego and our persona. You know, I have to wear these clothes to make it in the world and talk this way and go to this job I may hate. Um, that's where our stresses come in. And if we don't have ways to deal with stress, then we can develop psychological conditions, you know, or even physical conditions if the stress goes on long enough. So without going inside and realizing we're so much more than our ordinary lives, it's really hard for us. And it can, it, 
getting worse in some ways from what I'm hearing in terms of the difficulties people are having and coping. When we know that we're spiritual beings and that we have this vast God, goddess universe inside of us, then we have that incredible support and that knowledge that we're greater than our lives may look on the outside. And with that knowledge can come calmness, can come softness, can come relaxation, <laughs> can come beauty. You know, we see, we see the beauty in the world, not just the hardships. And that can change everything. There's so much more inside of us. And if we're rushing around, doing this and trying to get this done and oh you know that's often my state in the past and most many of us if that's all we have our lives are going to be really hard when we remember when we take time when we breathe deeply and go inside ask for help contemplate pray, set intentions, all those beautiful things. We have so many resources. So when we take the time to acknowledge this beautiful, beautiful being that each one of us is in potentiality, we do things differently. We walk through our lives slowly. We remember to breathe. Okay, I need to disengage from the stress. So what can I do to help myself? Changes everything. And that's what I like about the book is that there are psychological ways and spiritual ways to do this. And we need all of it. You know, we need as much help as we can get. That is so true. Now, what would you say to the person who says they're not worthy of having calmness? They're not worthy of having things in their life because a lot of people are so down on themselves that they don't even feel like they have the, the enough energy to be able to find the beauty and to find the spiritual in their life. Well, it's a great question. As a therapist, I would wish that those people would go into therapy specifically psychodynamic therapy, but any therapy where they have a good engagement with a therapist to help them reframe those messages. Those messages come from deep wounding, in our, usually in our childhood, often from a parental figure of some sort. And it takes a lot of work, inner work, to undo that message. We are all worthy. We are all creatures of God. You know, there, there's, we're here to be the voices and the hands of the divine. I'm so clear about that. But to do that, we have to get rid of these messages. And this is our karma to undo in this lifetime. Mm -hmm. We don't want to live with that. It's so poisonous to keep holding on to that and it's not true you know when you're asking me the question i'm getting tears in my eyes because oh i'm so sorry you feel that way whoever these people are you know because it's not true but it takes time and the right people and it could be it could be a spiritual person like a minister or it could be a teacher it could be anybody who speaks the truth, and over time heals that wound, helps the person see, I'm more than worthy. Of course I am. I love that. Now, we need to take a brief um, commercial break, but then we'll be right back with you. Okay. Hi, my name is Joanna, and I would like to share with you a little bit about Shores of Grace, Shores Philly. It's a ministry located in Philadelphia. The portion of shores that I volunteer for goes into Kensington, an area greatly impacted by homelessness and addiction. And we go and we take love, food, clothing, snacks, conversation. Um, we believe that it is a way that we can meet people right where they are and show them the love of Jesus. 
uh, we have seen lives changed in big ways and in small ways. And we have built wonderful relationships with the people in the community. Uh, we have big plans, more we'd like to do. Um, and we would appreciate any support, either through prayer or through donation. If you would like to donate, you can go to shoresofgrace.com and in the menu, click on donate. And we just ask that you put Philly in your donation comments. Thank you. And we are back chatting with Elaine, who wrote Everyday Soul Dances. Now let's talk about the book. You said that you were in Lake Tahoe when, the, when you first started the premise of the book, started thinking about the book. Tell, take us through the process of when it came, when it came to you, when you decided, okay, I definitely have to write this book and going through the steps of writing it and then on to getting it published. Um, I would never have thought of writing a book. I know I knew nothing about writing. I know more now since I've done it. Um, but I started hearing these messages and they're not my voice. They're, they're messages that come to me. And the messages were from the energies I call the divine feminine. And the messages were, you are to write a book, you are to call it Everyday Soul Dances. And then the first words of the book are the words that came to me in the beginning. And once we hear messages like that, I don't know if anybody would ignore them. You know, it's just like, okay, well, that's what I'll do. I had no clue what it would take, how long it would take, how many gazillion edits I did. <laughs> <You know? laughs> but I love the book. I love the color. I love the messages. And it's a way to let people know how beautiful they are and how much potential we all have and how we each have a, a unique and special place in this vast universe. Mm -hmm. Without any one of us, there would be a hole in the fabric of the universe. And, and if we can gather our great qualities and live from them, we contribute so much to the beauty and the health and the peace of the world. So you said you kind of heard a voice that told you to write this book. How long did it take you to heed the voice to say, okay, I'm going to sit down and write it? Because I know a lot of people hear voices and they're like, okay, the voice is telling me to go write this book, but you know, I'm not a writer. No, I'm not going to do it until it keeps coming on and keeps coming back and piling on and you're finally, you're finally like, okay, I got it. I'm going to do it. So how long did it take you? Well, I think, I think it's pretty immediate because it, the voice usually comes to me like when I'm doing something like getting ready for bed or brushing my teeth or something and then I start hearing this. So I go write it down. And that's pretty hard to ignore once it's on black and white in black and white. And um, so I started writing the messages and then it took years really because I was still working at the time as a therapist. Um, it took years to compile everything that I put in the book. You know, a lot of it is has to do with my words and the work of being a therapist and a meditator. Um, and then throughout the book, these other messages came through that I also added that are the voice of the divine feminine. So, um, years. <laughs> So what did you know when you first got the book and you had it in your hand, you could actually see, because you said it took you years to write it. So you actually can hold it in your hand and see it and feel it and smell it. How did it feel for you? <laughs> well, the first thing was relief because um, we had lots of trouble um, with the designers and the publishers to get the cover the way my son and I wanted it. You know, we had this vision of the way it's supposed to look, which is how it looks now. And it got all messed up and conflicts, you know, all kinds of struggles. And so when it finally appeared, it's like, and I, I got boxes of books, you know, like tons of books delivered one day. <laughs> and um, I opened that first box and it's like, oh, we did it. We all did it. You know, everybody contributed, even with all the hassles. And so gratitude and awe. 
I'm still awed with the cover. I'm awed that I get to have these experiences talking to people like you. It really is a great gift. And the book is the catalyst. And honestly, I think the book is a gift to people that read it because I love the way that you set it up so that you, they have journaling and to answer some questions. And then you also put it in the, a QR code in your book to where people can take their cell phones and go immediately to your website to get the meditations that you're talking about in this book. Because, I mean, it's one thing to read a meditation. It's another thing to listen to the meditations and what people are saying. How important was that to put the QR codes in the book? Well, I have these, you know, I'm, I'm older, so I'm not, I wasn't all that technologically literate. But I have these sons that know everything. So, um my middle son did the recordings with me. He did all of the background music and you know, getting the rhythm and right, right, and that kind of thing. And um, if people were to to do the contemplations, do the journaling, listen to the meditations, and really work the book as a workbook, I, I know they would gain so much. What I've been thinking about recently, though, is People read a book, and I think if a person only reads this book, they might not even finish it, because there's a lot in there, mm -hmm. and a lot to, to contemplate. It's not just about the mind. It's about healing the heart, healing the soul, bringing forth the soul, and so a person could spend a year on this book and do an incredible amount of learning. Um, I guess this is a message to, to prospective readers. Please, please don't read the book. <laughs> 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 read and contemplate. How does this apply to my life? Read and contemplate. Listen to the meditations. I love that because most authors are like, read the book. I don't care if you get anything out of it. Just read it. Just read it. Just read it. But you're really like, you're like, okay, if you're going to read the book, read it the way I meant it to, for you to read it is take small sections. And it's like when you're eating, take tiny bites in, until you feel satisfied and then go on to the next part because it could take, I mean, I will say I read through it pretty quick because I knew I was going to interview you, but I'm planning on going back and doing some of the work because it, there are some really contemplative questions in there. How did you come up with these questions to ask people? Is it because of your background in therapy? Um, one of the things I like about myself is that I'm really good at asking people questions to draw them out. <laughs> so, so to put questions in a book, like for the book, it was not all that hard because I want people to, part of our problem in society is it's all about our mind, all about all these words, you know, and the mind is an incredible vehicle for us, but it's also an enemy mm -hmm. because the mind can run away with us. And that's often what happens in our society because we move so fast. So the only way to grow in mind, emotions, and soul is to go inside beyond the words. How do these words apply to me? You know, like your first question about, about a bully, that made an impact on you. Mm -hmm. And it was, it was the mind, but you got it at, at more than the level of the mind. You mentioned earlier when you were writing the book, you had a paper and a pencil and you are paper and pen. You would go down and write things down. And you mentioned several times in the book about making sure that you have something beside you at all times, like in your bed when you first wake up, write down your intentions or write down, if you had a dream, write down your dreams and being present in that moment, how important is journaling to all this? I've journaled for since probably 1970. And I, I, have, I had boxes and boxes and boxes of journals. I write every morning. 
about what happened the day before. Sometimes I write at night about what I learned, what I need to do for the day, what my intentions are, how I'm, how I'm connected spiritually or not. I, it's a huge practice for me because it takes us beyond the mind. What's really important are feelings. How did we handle what happened during the day? Do we like how we handled it or not? How do we correct it? How do we grow from it? Now, there are gazillion things we can ask ourselves that are good for journaling. And along with the journaling, of course, is the dream work. And the dream work, people call it as our inner guru, our inner teacher, because it's the subconscious saying, okay, pay attention. This happened. Now analyze the dream and what was it really about at a deeper level? So it's all about stopping, you know, wanting to get off the world and stopping and slowing down, taking time for ourselves, breathing, and then asking ourselves questions. I think that's really important in today's society because we're on the go, 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 go. And I would think after coming off of the pandemic that we would sort of kind of go back to that, you know, the pandemic made us stop and they made us reflect and it made us listen and, and be more intentional with each other. But it seems like once the pandemic was over or we were in the clear from it, everybody went back to go, 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 go again. So why does it take something like a pandemic to make us want to, or make us deal with <coughs> being calm and being in in the moment instead of you know and having time to reflect for ourselves. We couldn't have anticipated how the whole world would stop for us, and for many of us, it became a good thing because all of the rest of this stopped, and so many other people didn't have the inner resources and it was really, really hard for them. So what does it take? I would not want to see another pandemic. I would want all of us to learn from what's happened in the last few years. I mean, that's the thing. Mm -hmm. We're meant to grow. We're meant to get rid of these inner messages about how we're not okay. We're meant to find our beautiful soulful selves and whatever it takes. And that's why I like to be on programs like yours because whoever's listening, maybe they'll get something out of the words that we're speaking, you know, and then do whatever to, to do their own growing, to learn to love themselves better. And once we do that, then we love other people better. That's so true. Now, we've already mentioned meditation, but a lot of people think meditation's hooey, um, just using that word, like they think it's hocus pocus, but a lot of times it's just basically concentrating on your breath. But a lot of people say, I can't do it. My mind just will not stay quiet. How do you talk to people that say that? Well, I was that way for a long time. I was just like so squirrely during trying to meditate, you know, and it's like, I can't do this. It's helpful to have guided meditations. It helps a lot which is why I like that I have them in the book for people. Um, there are so many apps now with meditations, all kinds of different meditation teachers. Um, again, I would I want people to have the experience rather than reading a book about meditation, you know, because it's, again, that's of the mind. And we need to figure, we need to find this sacred space inside of us. And it doesn't happen overnight. Mm. The breathing is a, a prelude to slow everything down and to turn within. And that is a first step. And it could be the only step that I find that guided meditations are so rich. And then eventually people can do their own meditation, but it's a practice. Now, this isn't something we learn in a three-day weekend course or even a six-month course. It's like a daily 
practice. And that's what the yogis teach, you know, practice your breathing, practice meditation, practice contemplation. I love that. Now let's talk about karma because you mentioned karma a lot in the book, the concept of karma. So let's talk about what the, what karma is and then how it affects us. Well, the simple uh, thing is we've all heard that, you know, we'll heard somebody say, well, he'll get what's coming to him. That's his karma. And that's um, a principle in physics. When something happens, there's an equal reaction. So if the something is negative, then that's a karmic seed that either comes true like right away or sometime in the future or maybe in another lifetime. The reverse is true. When a good thing happens, that sets in motion good karma. So there are three types of karma according to the yogis. And one is karma that um, you bring into this lifetime that you can't do anything about, you know, like the color of our hair or the color of our eyes or where we live, things like that that are in place because we need, we, our soul needed this experience. So that's a given. Another type of karma is that we come into this lifetime and where our soul has made an agreement apparently between lifetimes to have these conditions because we have these karmic seeds within us and these are the perfect conditions to work on this karma and to heal it and get rid of it and be free of it so we can be more soulful beings and then the third type of karma is the karma we're creating in the present and that's always a choice you did mention something about the generational karma as well in the book something about generational talk about that um, I probably can give you a, a story from my life that we have ancestors and, and the ancestors had history. Like my mother's um, family came from the, the Irish potato famine, her, her mother, her father um, was German and I don't know his history. My father's family came from Norway. So my sense of my father, except when I was little, is that he was a stoic Norwegian and that he and his family didn't talk much, especially the men. <laughs> so I didn't know who he was. But I have this brilliant grandson who's fascinated with world history and the fact that my dad was in the First World War and he was wounded. So he's on a mission right now. My dad is a war hero, apparently, but nobody knew that back in the 1800s, 1900s, 18, late 1800s. Um, and so now there are ways to undo that. And my grandson was telling me about the horrible battles he was in, in France, and how many hundreds of thousands of lives were lost. And he got out with a, with a smaller wound to his hand. But once I heard all of this, I understood so much more about my dad. He probably had PTSD. Mm. And nobody, even with his friends, you know, everything's on the surface. Everything's ordinary. The men weren't, especially back then, they weren't going to talk about how they were living in France during the war. So I have so much more compassion for him now. Mm -hmm. And that's a really good example of healing some ancestral karma for me. And that brings more peace between my soul and my dad's. Oh, I love that. Now, you just hit on something that I want to talk about men men tend to not be you know not as forthcoming with their feelings as women are how can men get around because i do have men listeners as well how can they get around and and find that calm and because they have it seems like 
the weight of the world on their shoulders. Like they're supposed to be the breadwinners. They're supposed to be this. They're supposed to be that. They have all these expectations. How can they create that source of calm and that spiritual practice in their life? More men are going into therapy. The younger generations, there's more equality between men and women, which I'm so happy to see. And also in the younger generations, like my sons and their families, or their family, we have well, families, um, they've grown up with more egalitarian values. And they've grown up with moms that express true feelings instead of anger or rage so much, you know. And so it's, I love it when a man comes into therapy and really wants to work on himself. That says the world. And those men are so important. And I would encourage men to enter therapy. However, if the women change, and they're more um, loving to themselves and more aware that their role is to be a helpmate and a teacher to their partner. Mm -hmm. That changes. That's so true. And I think one of the things that you also mentioned about in the book was it, it takes a strong person to ask for help. You know, it's not showing weakness because I think people think, oh, you're in therapy. You must be weak. You can't deal with this new self. But to me, like you said in the book as well, and I've heard it several times, it takes a strong person to ask for help because that's actually many that you have flaws. When I was um, working in Carson early on in my career in Carson, there were a lot of problems with um, some of the uh, middle school kids. And the younger kids, would, with their problems, they would be able to bring their families into therapy. But there was that mentality that if you go to therapy, it means you're crazy. Mm -hmm. And that was a pretty deep fear, I think, for a lot of people. And I think like with the middle school kids, um, the parents saw the kids' problems as a reflection on their good, not good enough. They're not doing a good enough job. So... I lost your question. I'm sorry. <laughs> it being strong um, to yeah. add to go to therapy. Yeah. So it's, we're reframing the whole thing. We need so much help in our lives. You know, therapy for sure. Friends, kids that teach us like my grandson. Um, books. There there's so many ways. And the people who try to handle everything themselves are pretty contracted. I can do this. And we, we can. We can do a really good job of handling many, many things, especially women, you know, with multitasking. But we're reaching we're missing out on the richness of what we can receive from like this experience today. Yep. It's beautiful, your questions you're asking me. Beautiful. So we're here to help one another. We're here to grow one another, you know? I mean, just to be ourselves and then the growth takes place. So that's a myth about weakness. It takes incredible courage to come into therapy and to really do the work, especially for them. Yeah, they take always applaud when they do. Also, I would say go a little bit further and say it's incredible courage to actually pick up your book and start working on yourself with that because, you know, most people would look at the book and say, oh, I'm going to read it and I'm not going to do the work. I'm just going to read it. But if you stop and do the work, you're saying, okay, there's flaws in me. There's things that I don't like about myself that I need to fix. And that's not necessarily something that tells, tells me I'm a bad person. It's just something I know that bothers me and something I need help getting over. The book is, the messages in the book from the Divine Feminine and from me are so supportive. And I, I wrote the book as if 
I was in therapy with the reader and the readers talking about these problems and I answer in a calm and loving and truthful and insightful way. And I say, oh no, there's so much more than that. Let's see what we need to do with these messages. So if people can tie into those energies, they will change. I heard one one uh, reader recently, uh, my daughter-in-law's mother was on a cruise and she went down to get coffee, a million, you know, thousands of people on the ship or whatever. And she sat down next to this woman that was reading my book. And so she said, oh, I know the author. And the woman says, it's my Bible. Oh my gosh. Yeah. And another woman, a niece of a new friend of mine, told her, the, the woman who had given her the book, she said, it saved my life. So how great is that, you know? That these people were able to take it in in the ways that we men, or I meant to be, have it taken in. Wow. Did you know when you were writing that book, it was going to have that impact? You hoped it would, but did you think it would actually have that impact of it's my Bible, it saved my life? I mean, that's that right there. Those two testimonials right there are just flooring. You know, I can't. The way I've done my life is in my work is to do my best as much as I can. And then to trust the universe that these messages, whatever they are, the healings that happen or whatever, are exactly what's meant to happen. So I, I think my ego is pretty much out of the way because I, I couldn't have written this book from the place of the ego. Mm -hmm. And it's, you know, it's a service and it's an extension of the work I did in my therapy. I could only see one person or one family per hour. That's not very many people. The book potentially can reach many more people and I hope for that. But it, right now, it's these uh, talking with people like you, Melissa. That's how I'm reaching people. And Okay, well, the book's not selling so much right at the moment, but the word's getting out, and I love the way we get to do this. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> now, we had already talked about before we were going to close out, that you were going to close out with meditation. But before we do that, do you have one last little nugget that you want to share with people? Uh, uh, what? Do you have one last little nugget you want to share with people before we get into where we can find you? And then we'll end the episode with the meditation. Don't be afraid to go inside and find out who you truly are. Don't be afraid to look at those negative messages because they are wounding and they're usually from our childhood or from, you know, PTSD traumas. And we deserve to clear them. We're meant to clear them. That's our karma of this lifetime is to heal all of that so we can find the gloriousness of who we are. I love that. And your book is called Everyday Soul Dances. Where can people find it at? You can get it um, from Amazon. And I always appreciate reviews. <laughs> Um, Barnes and Nobles, you can get it from your local bookstore. They probably would have to order it. You can get it from Balboa Press, which is the company that um, published the book. Uh, it's pretty much available. You might have to search a little bit. Amazon, it's real easy to get. And where can people find out more about you and about what you do? Um, my website is www.everydaysoldances.com. I'm on Facebook, Everyday Soul Dances, and it's a, it's a, my my son who designed the cover of the book um, designed the website, and the meditations are there, but they're easy to get through the QR code. And then um, my email address is Everyday Soul Dances 
at charter.net. Now, do you have a YouTube or anything so people can listen to the meditations or are all the meditations on the, your website? <laughs> That's a, a work to be in process. Um, I, I'm going to get them up on Spotify and a couple of other sites, but I don't have that done yet. All right. So, guys, I will put in the show notes everywhere you can find Elaine as well as the book. And I'm going to go ahead and close this out right now because she's going to close this out with the meditation. And I just feel like after the meditation, I don't want to come back and talk. So thank you for watching, Elaine. Thank you for being on. And it's all yours. So like maybe five minutes. Is that does that work for the meditation? That works for me. Okay. Well, first of all, Center yourself and allow your spine to elongate. If you're comfortable, close your eyes. And imagine your breath coming in and out of your belly. You might want to put your hands on your belly. Breathe in deeply. And breathe out slowly. And on the exhalations, imagine all tension, all thoughts, any lingering emotions, anything that's in your way right now. Imagine exhaling all of that out from your sacrum and your soles of your feet down into the earth for recycling. Just with slowing our breath down and with our intentions, we can release so much and so quickly. Just doing this a few times a day, we center ourselves. We empty ourselves of everything that is unnecessary. And in the emptiness, we begin to touch into our spirits. Imagine spaciousness. Imagine becoming spacious. There's nothing to do and nowhere to go except be in this moment and allow yourself to become deep peace. Your whole being quiets. and softens and opens and this is the truth of who you are and it's the practice of releasing of breathing deeply Releasing what we don't need in the moment. So getting rid of the karma, the anxiety, the intention, anxiety and depressions. And then opening up to your spiritual lessons. And in these moments, Know your own beauty. Your own worthiness. Your own goodness. And your vast potentials. 
allow light to come in from the heavens and down through your crown chakra and have it radiate throughout your whole body and your whole being. It permeates everything about you down to the cellular level. Know your own goldenness. And see how worthy you are of love. Once you know you are worthy to be loved and you are loved by spirit, by the divine, then you are the soul and the voice and the hands of love. And you are in relationship to the others in your life. And this soul dance is supremely beautiful. It can be practiced anywhere at any time. I honor the place in you in which the entire universe dwells. It is a place of love, of light, of truth, and of peace. When you are in that place in you, and I am in that place in me, we are one. Namaste. That's from the blog cabin. Hit subscribe and don't miss the next episode.